my speaker. Come on. All right. Oh, oh, Mangalam Guru Devaya Devi Matrikya Mangalam Mangalam Bhakta Bindevyo Sarvalokaya Mangalam. Om Stavakaya Chudarmasya Sarvadharma Sarupini Avatara Varishtaya Ramakrishnaya Mangalam Om Mangalam Gurudevaya Devi Matriksha Mangalam Mangalam Bhakta Vrindeviya Sarvalokaya Mangalam Om Sarashiva Samaram Bham Shankaracharya Majjamam Ashmaracharya Prayantam Vande Guru Om Guru Brahma Guru Vishnu Guru Devo Maheshwaraha Guru Reva Param Brahman Tasmai Sri Guru Venama Tasmai Sri Guru Venama Om Saraswati Namunajam Badra Kage Namunamaha Jai Ma, picking up after a few weeks. For the last two weeks we had some... Last week, because of Holy Mother Sharadadevi's Titi Puja, we read about her birth and her marriage and like that. And then the previous week, we had revered Swami Shivatananda Saraswati from Chinmay Mission. He gave a very beautiful talk on the, what was it, Minakshi Pancharatra, Pancharatra of Adi Shankaracharya. Very beautiful talk. Many esoteric things, very simply described as his specialty. But what we were reading before, we were, we've were we been reading from Swami Vivekananda's Bhakti Yoga. And the section we were on, we only got about halfway through last time, three weeks ago. I think in the small, in the, in the, in the traditional, in the complete work, I think it's called The Method and the Means or something like that. Uh, the version I have, it's simply How to Cultivate Bhakti. Probably a better title, but it's not the original title from the book. It's about the methods. <coughs> And it was especially, he was giving a commentary on a verse uh, um, from Ramanuja's commentary on the Brahma Sutra. And uh, it's, a, it's a peculiar verse, it's, I'll read it. it, it he, he's, Swamiji's unpacking, he spends a lot of time first talking about purity of food, that's one of the things mentioned in the verse. Uh, the attaining of bhakti comes through discrimination, controlling the passions, practice, Sacrificial works, purity, strains, and suppression of excessive joy. So there's a weird, either we don't think of it, suppression of excessive joy as an obstacle, as, as a goal, but we'll understand what he means by this. And then he starts talking about, that's the verse Samaji's uh, commentating on, and he's talking about, first he talked about purity of food, and we spent a lot of time translating that original verse from the Upanishad. That says, from, from, if you remember, from purity, from uh, uh, Ahar sat, uh, uh, Satpa, Shudho, ahar, I can't remember the verse. Ahar shudho, satpa shudho, shudha, satpa shudho, smriti shudha, something like this. I may be getting it wrong. If I can get it kind of right, I'm very proud of myself. Smriti shudho. Well, I'll give it a try. From purity of food comes. Purity of mind, or actually, we talked about actually. Says the sattvic qualities are purified, not just purity of mind, but in the in the body, the sattvic part of the body of our system is the mind. So it's not a bad transition. From purity of food comes purity of mind. 
from purity of mind comes purity of memory. Right? And when, when the memory, what's that memory? We remember God. And if you remember God, then it says that uh, all the bandhas, all the, uh, all the all the things that bind us, mukto, we can become free. So it's a very clear. The claim is a very strong claim. Is that if you if your food is pure, you will attain liberation. If from that, you know, it's, it's, it's steps to attain liberation. And so, because of this, we mentioned that that, that uh, a lot of people, because this seems from food, that's what well, we can we can control food, and religion has done a very good job controlling food. You know, ninety percent of religion in is, can be sometimes summarized in dietary restrictions, do's and don'ts, and cloven foot and not cloven foot, and you know all, all these all these strange things. We have all things we can control food. Right? We, uh, every religion has its own uh, uh, taboos and restrictions for food. Uh, um, and so that's good because that's compared to the physical food we take that has a tremendous effect on the mind, the sattvic qualities of the mind. Right? But Shankaracharya gave the uh, further interpretation of how to mean everything we take into the senses, not just food. Right? And that, so we, we see what we hear. And so we should, by, by, by making sure what we see, hear, taste, smell, observe, that is pure, then the mind becomes pure, the memory becomes pure, all, all obstacles, all our bondages are, are, are freed, we freed from our bondages. So that's good, but then Shankaracharya gives a further, subtler interpretation of that. He says, it's not just making sure, every, not just our food is pure, but everything is pure that we take into the senses. Actually, everything we take into the senses, what is it? It's just external stimulus, uh, a non-real stimulus on, uh, on, on a... On a, on a on a very subtle trick of, uh, of our consciousness that we call the mind, right? And so we, because of that, we get completely bewildered by everything we take in by the senses. So, ahar uh, shudho uh, um, uh, means a pure, a pure relationship with everything we take in the senses, knowing none of it's real, ultimately. And therefore, nothing affects you. That's Shankaracharya. Uh, Swamiji quotes Shankaracharya. He takes it to a very kind of absolute level. It's not just, but food restriction is still important because that's something we can control. And in religion, we often, we talked about this, we give a lot of emphasis to what we can control. Because it's actually not easy to control everything we take in through the senses. Right? Uh-uh. And it's definitely not easy to have a pure consciousness and pure awareness of everything, we, of, of sense experience in general. Completely detached and not, uh, completely unattached towards our sense experience. But that's maybe what's necessary. What we can do is control our food eat sattvic food, you know, we all, have, yoga has its own standards, but every religion has its own standards for that. And we become very fanatical on, on, on food because that's something we can control, right? And the fact that we can't control the mind, that we control, you know, we control part of the mind, we control the body, actually. But that's not, that's still not nothing because the tongue, the tongue is a lot. Even if we, if we can be a little bit bold to give some interpretation of Ma's iconography in our thousand, and we're in our classes on the Kali Sasanama, we we have we had to go break from that. As soon as we finish Samaji, we'll go back to the Sasanama. I'm missing those are very good classes. But when we got to her tongue, her tongue has many meanings. One of the meanings that's given uh, is that she's biting her tongue. Some say she's sticking her tongue out. She's lapping up the blood of Raktabija. There's so many ways we can understand. But yogis, I've been told by yogis who, who tell, oh, you're a Kali devotee, you know, the Kali, you know, they're merely giving you, giving a yogic interpretation. It's just she's, she's biting her tongue, right? Because the tongue, well, the tongue is a lot. The tongue represents, of course, first thing, we think it re- represents food, 
and hunger, right? So, the, so, so by controlling the tongue, cutting the tongue, you control hunger. By, not hunger, controlling taste, that's better. Hunger is a natural thing, but uh, uh, so, uh, uh, I mean, eating, controlling eating. And also, uh, quick jump back, the color, the uh, three colors of mild, given the, the Kaliyantra also is primarily black, white, and red. These are the colors of mild, the colors of our shrine also, <laughs> colors of our kitchen, color of our temple. <laughs> right. Which is the theme, right? And so these are the three gunas, Rajas, Sattva, and Tamas, right? And so her, her, her teeth are described. The other day when Swami Shivatmananda gave, gave the talk, he, one of the lines from, the, from, the, from that hymn to Minakshi, that her teeth are like a row of pearls, right? Very beautiful, these white teeth, right? So her white teeth against her red tongue. So the red represents Rajas, and, and the white teeth represent in this symbolism uh, Sattva. So sattva controls rajas. This is the idea, right? So she controls the rajas of the tongue of taste. She controls another one, the rajas of speaking. Right? You control our speech. Actually, in in, in uh, uh, the uh, uh, in 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 the Bhagavad Gita, when he talks about control of the mind, control of the t- control of the tongue, these different types of tapas, he gives silence as a way to control. Right, so if we control the, 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 the tongue back way from our native speak, and then the, the third thing is represents sex also. So, uh, so by controlling this, the sattva controls rajas, and thus, in the, in the giving a symbolic interpretation of, of this part of our iconography, thus the, uh, you can transcend it. There's a verse in the, it's called the, what's it called? It's translated as nectar of devotion. It's, uh, it's twelve. I think it's bhakti rasam rittasindu or something. What is that nectar? Something like this, right? There's a verse. I maybe I, I wasn't thinking to speak like this, but I'm getting it jumbled. But it says when somebody can control the, the, the control the tongue, the stomach, and the genitals, so they're considered connect, connected. This means they're controlling rajas by sattva, right? Then that person, he or she, can make disciples all over the world. That's a qualification given. Rupa Goswami, Jiva Goswami, I forget. Rupa Goswami, thank you. Rupa Goswami, disciple of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Right, so it's like just simply you can control the tongue, but it's not, it's not just control of the tongue. It's control of the tongue, speech, of food, all these types of wind control, then that's itself is qualification to, to make disciples. Right, so you should look in, if somebody claims to be a guru, you should look in their kitchen, see what they're. <laughs> now we can know the truth. <laughs> but you see the danger of that. You shouldn't just have <laughs> become too superficial. But anyway, so some, we, we, we read some of these things. I'm, not, I'm, I'm backtracking some things because I want to get my, I have to get myself caught up in order to continue. I've been out of practice for a couple of weeks. So some of you, in the second we read, he talked about control of food and then controlling the passions. So we read, we just read that, it's only a short paragraph, I'll read that again. Controlling the passions is the next thing to be attain, attended to. To restrain the indriyas, the organs, from going toward the objects of the senses. To control them and to bring them under the guidance of the will is a very central virtue in religious culture. Then come to practice of self-restraint and self-denial. This means tapasya, primarily. And there's a, this last couple of weeks, not thinking about this, probably just put it in my mind, I'll begin to, to, to cogitate on it is that we're, in Buddhism and Bhagavad Gita, we, real, we know the desire, has, that seems, our struggle is with desire, ultimately, right? 
and and uh, Swami, uh, Holy Mother said, if you if you if you have no desire, immediately you're free, right? And he says, and if you have a desire to have a piece of chocolate, you'll be reborn, right? <laughs> For one milk sweet. <laughs> desire leads to rebirth. That's sort of the thing. We have so many desires, right? So being free, you know. So so we have to know what to do with with talking about self control and stuff. It's be meaningless if we don't understand what, 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 what what's the energy behind it. And so we get confused. Either we think, oh, the way, the, the normal way we deal with desires is to satisfy them, right? That's then that's actually very healthy. Actually, in most things that's usually sufficient, right? You know, it's like if you're hungry, eat something, and you're not hungry anymore, right? But you know, you know, it's not going to be permanent. So if you want permanent satisfaction, <coughs> eating something's not going to give it to you. You're going to be hungry tomorrow. You're going to be hungry, right? But it's if for most for most small things, satisfaction is a natural thing because hunger in its natural condition. Actually, desires is that condition is is a God ordained system to keep the body going. You you, you want the things you're, you're supposed to want the things that you need to keep living, to be, not to be keep living, to be happy, to be successful, to be to be dynamic, to be secure. All those things are there's nothing intrinsically wrong, right? And, and in our natural state, and these things come naturally. And, and actually, the, even there's a, a a line that says that a fish, if you take a fish out of water, it's gasping for water. But you said he shouldn't be so attached. Right? Why has so much desire for water? It's a desire for water that's led, led to his suffering. No, water is his natural element. Right? The fact that he's gasping for water means he needs to be in water. So sometimes the fact that we desire something is because that's what we're supposed to have. That's proof that we're supposed to have it. But you can see, at a certain point, taking that, that theory, you can, you can see where it tips. And all of a sudden we're wanting things that we don't need if we didn't have them, and, and maybe even be bad for us if we have them. Like chocolate, no, those we need. <coughs> it's maybe worth the rebirth. I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, so 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 one thing. So so uh, so mo- small desires by satisfying, they're probably okay. But you can see, there's there's bigger desires. Satisfying doesn't fix them, right? And the the the, the scriptures use this example of pouring ghee into fire. If you pour fuel fuel into fire, it doesn't put out the fire, right? It makes the fire bigger, right? Of course, all these examples can be taken too far because you can like, oh, if you pour a bunch of ghee, it can put out the fire also. You know, <laughs> you know, uh, it's, that's not exactly true, but you understand the, the, the gist of it. You know, so that doesn't seem to always work. Also, uh, and so the other option we can swing to the the other extremes. Like, no, I won't. I won't. I'll fight all my desires, or what, even or whatever one I'm struggling with, and just completely deny it, right? And so that may have some benefit. Also, it, it has a benefit of being a type of tapasya, and it gives a little, sometimes, willpower strength, right? But, you know, uh, uh, the danger of that is of an unfulfilled desire. And this is a test from everybody who has memorized all verses in Bhagavad Gita. What, is, what does unfulfilled desire lead to? Anger. Anger, anger right? Yeah, that's the definition of unfulfilled desire is anger, right? And, and Krishna says in the Gita, triple are the gates to hell. Lust, anger, and greed. Right? It's, uh, uh, it is lust, it is anger, it is greed, born of Rajaguna. That's the verse in the Gita. Right? Uh, uh, and so ang- lust and greed are just two der- versions of desire. One is in two different fields. <laughs> uh, and, and, and anger is, is when they're not satisfied. And if we analyze carefully, we've spoken about this before, that even all anger comes from frustrated desire. Even good anger, righteous anger. If you're angry with what's going on in politics, if you're angry that children are being hurt, because we want children not to be hurt, we want things to go well. You know, like there's, there's even a good desire 
when it's not satisfied can also lead to anger. You have to know where anger comes from. So satisfying, pouring, satisfying the big desire doesn't always make them go away, like pouring ghee into fire. And not satisfying desire is, leads to frustration. Right, so that's the situation. <laughs> right, so these two, things, these, these, two, these two don't seem to be the best uh, uh, method. Right. Still, I mean, some small desires can be satisfied and they go away. Right. Other desires, by, re- by, by rejecting, they also go away. Right. So you have to, I mean, that's, they're, they're appropriate tools for certain things. Right? Neem Kurli Baba, he has a very, very simple line. He said, if you want something, if you want a cup of tea, and you don't drink a cup of tea, the desire goes away. The desire passes. It's another mystery. In the Gita it says, everything, heat, heat and cold, pleasure and pain, uh, 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 I forget the, all these lists of dualities, they all, all these things have a beginning, a middle and an end. Right? They're temporary. Therefore, or Arjuna, just tolerate them. They'll pass. Right, one Swamiji, one Swamini, uh, Radhikananda Saraswati, a very wonderful, she hasn't come in a long time, from, from Bombay, uh, sitting here, actually, she, she was saying that, that, uh, 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 that, um, that everything, that every, 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 every desire has a, has a time limit built in. Right? And you can see, let's say we have some desire. Right? We're talking very general. We can, we can all fill in our... We all know what we're struggling with, right? We have some desire. Uh, and it passes. If we, don't, you know, if we don't think about it, or we don't think eventually it just passes. Nothing, nothing survives, right? And 15, you see, she, she says, just wait 15 minutes. And there's this big thing that if we satisfy, will actually get us entangled or become very frustrated or really mess things up. Right, ruin our relationships, you know, whatever, maybe have us arrested, ruin our health, <laughs> whatever the desire could be. You know, it's like we we don't need a three day waiting period. We need a fifteen minute waiting period sometimes. <laughs> That's all it takes. The waiting period of fifteen minutes is sufficient because desire because it changes. And we have to do a lot of work to keep it generated. And you see, we have desire and, it, and we can't satisfy it, whatever it is. And then we're like, oh, now we're disappointed because we don't have the desire anymore. You know, it's like we're almost upset. Sometimes we're upset. Our frustration that we don't, we don't, we that, that we don't still have the desire to get the, the joy of, or or the frustration of satisfying the desire. So so, so, so the Nagita says that the uh, if you simply tolerate, you just wait a little bit, it passes, right? And what happens when that happens? You're neither fighting it, you're not trying to fight it, or you're not trying to satisfy it. You're simply letting it be, right? And it comes, it rises as a vritti and goes down as a vritti, right? And it's like at the end of it, it's like well, that wasn't so bad. Right, you know, it's like if you if you if you swim in the ocean, you know, you know how to some 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 waves you dive under, some waves you fly over. Once in a while you get knocked down, you know. But the, a good swimmer knows the the, the, the uh, how to deal with these waves. Right, a very uh, <coughs> so in in I'm not even I have to go back to the text eventually. There's a verse, a very beautiful verse in the. In the Sundar Lahari, also by Shankaracharya, where it's a, it's a very interesting verse. It says that that all other gods and goddesses, right, um, uh, uh, give their hands are showing blessings, right? Not Baramudra, uh, uh, they give you blessings, but not yours. This is describing the form of Lalita Devi, that particular form. And usually we think like Ma. One hand is a mudra, one hand is, 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 is a, a mudra, giving blessings, right, boons or something like that. 
And, and Lalita, her picture is the third here, right? also has this hand like this. Right? He says, but you are the only one in this beautiful poem that is not giving blessings with the position of her hand. So what is it that this hand is not giving blessings? You know, she's the only one that doesn't satisfy your desires, won't fulfill your, your, your prayers. That's a very strange way to praise her. Right? Oh, the, 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 this verse is glorifying her because of this. But then it's, it's a very subtle thing. Actually, she's not giving blessings, she's pointing to her feet. Right? So, she's, so actually, what we, what we, when we go to Divine Mother and ask for our desires, she's showing, actually, what you really want is my feet. Right? So we, 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 uh, St. Augustine said that in, in the confession that, that our hearts are restless, so they rest in thee. Right? The thing we really want is God. Right? And God can give us every number of things to satisfy, temporarily satisfy us, but what we really want is God. So she's showing she's not... You can have everything, no problem. That's the material you work. There's a world of karma. If you want something, you can work in, theoretically through your karmas and complicated relationships with everything. You know, we can, we can get some things. Right? But it's not, it's not really satisfying our, our actual inner hunger. Right? And so I like this. This is my favorite. I mean, it's, like, it's a big book, but my, the line that I remember, I think about almost daily, is our hearts are restless, so they rest. This is what we actually want. So she's showing what we really want is union with her. And so that's the real, so this also changes our view towards our desires, is that whatever, sometimes they manifest very naturally and, 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 and uh, uh, healthy, sometimes they're a little bit tweaked due to painful experiences and karmas and relationships, and they get, sometimes they, get, they can get dangerously tweaked. They become actually unhealthy and neurotic and become dark and depressed and, you know, whatever the thing is. But, but, if we, but behind them all, if you untangle them all, what we want is fulfillment. We want union. We want satisfaction. My guru used to say that, uh, that if we want what we want, we want, we want infinite and eternal uh, joy. Right? That's what the heart actually wants. Right? And so if, if we know what we, what we, that we want infinite, we want something that's infinite and eternal, and where do we seek it? We seek it in where we can get it, right? In temporary and limited things, right? So if you, search, if you seek, seek a permanent value from a temporary object, or if you seek an infinite value from a limited object, what happens? Again, you become frustrated, right? And, and, and so, and so if you expect, like, if, if you're hungry and you eat something, that's like, oh my God, I've, I've now first No, that, that's natural. You, you, don't ex, you, you don't expect permanent satisfaction from a bowl of rice or something. Right? You expect temporary satisfaction. It's okay, that's appropriate to what it can give, but, but, we, but what we really, really want is infinite happiness. We want, uh, 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 and therefore, we become frustrated. I mean, frustrated, you use his own language, he's frustrated we are. That's his language. <laughs> You know, that, that's a fact. It can be. Not everybody, but... Uh, then comes practice of self-restraint and self-denial. The immense possibility of divine realization in the soul cannot, cannot become activated without struggle and without such practice on the part of the aspiring devotee. The mind must always think of the Lord. It is very hard at first to compel the mind to think of the Lord always. But with every new effort, the power to do so grows stronger in us. By practice, O son of Kunti, is in the Gita, and by non-attachment is yoga attained, says Sri Krishna in the Gita. 
And then as the sacrificial work is understood, the five great sacrifices had to be performed as usual. We, we ended up talking about the five sacrifices last, last uh, three weeks ago. So we'll pick up, now we're picking up exactly where we left off. Purity is also, is absolutely the basic discipline. Purity is absolutely the basic discipline, the bedrock upon which the building of bhakti rests. This is what I call an underlying verse. This is, I haven't used this term, but in my own, this is how... When you learn to take notes, and I took a class on how to survive in college, my first, my first class at OCC. And the first thing they showed you was how to, how to take notes and how to put the underline. We had two things. We had, we had a red underliner and a, and, a, and a highlighter. Highlighting is different than underlining. Further, the technique, I didn't know this, but it helped. Still, even I don't, I don't use it when I read, but I still, and my, I mentally highlight these are important areas, but, but then there's the point, you know, like in the Gita, it always says, you know, or like uh, uh, it says, like one who has one who does this attains liberation, right? So that's an underlying verse. What is exactly that we have to do? Then the you know you can go work way back and find it. This is an underlying verse, right? Uh, purity is absolutely the basic discipline, the bedrock upon which the building of bhakti rests. The idea of a bedrock or a foundation. We've used this line before that if you build a building, if you build a building without a foundation, right, you build an accident. You're building an accident. It's going to fall, right? You can't help it, right? So building a most of building a building is the foundation, right? Everything else comes quickly. When when you were in Prakash, were building the Arkutir, how much work <laughs> went into the digging and pouring concrete and laying down rebar and the whole thing. Hmm? Foundation and shoveling and carrying dirt, you know, that was very, very, that, and, and then when that was done, pow, in a few weeks, uh, in a couple of weeks, the, whole, the, the building goes up, the drywall goes in, the electricity goes in, the roof goes in, everything's painted, and like, everything goes quickly. Foundation is a lot of work, right? Uh, uh, so, so that's, because actually, why purity is the foundation? Actually, Sri Ramakrishna said, somebody says, that bhakti is not something we have to attain. We already have it. The soul's nature is, a lot, is to want, it's, it, the soul's nature is union with God. The soul's nature is to want union with God. Right? Love, love is a natural, and Sri Ramakrishna gives the example of a, of a it's a perfect, to me, it's a, Sri Ramakrishna un, un, uncovers a thousand pages of philosophy in one story sometime, one example of a, of a, of a magnet uh, attracts a, a needle, right? So it's it's not that the needle doesn't need to do anything to be attracted to a magnet. It's the nature of the magnet to attract metal, and it's the nature of metal to be attracted. It doesn't have to do anything separate, right? But still, you put you can you have a big magnet and a needle, and nothing happens, right? So you see what's 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 wrong, right? One thing is that either it's not close enough to feel the, so that's why we think of God and we. We do things to get close, although there's no, there's no distance really. But, but the other thing is, if the needle is encrusted in mud, in dirt, or clay, right, then you can put a needle right over it, nothing happens. To the, it, it, nothing happens to the, to the magnet. If you wash the mud off the net magnet, off the needle, should I say, sorry, as soon as at a certain point, as soon as the, 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 dust, the, the mud is washed away, Immediately, it, oops, sorry, it, the needle flies towards the the magnet. Right, so it's a perfect. This is actually so actually all spiritual life. My sannyas Guru Swami Omananda, he says again and again, sadhana is only for one purpose, manasuddhi. There's no second purpose, the purification of the mind. My manas means my, we, 
we would in Western way of thinking, we would say the heart, right? But that's the heart we consider heart is it's in the category of manas in in in, in, in yogic literature, right? Manas should be purification of the mind of the inner of our inner being, right? That says no second thing. It's not like you were that 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 mantras get God; they purify the heart, right? When the pure heart's pure, bhakti automatically love automatically comes. And so what's the goal? If, if, if union with God or the vision of God, however you want to uh, conceptualize that, uh, that's, we always say that God stands self-revealed in, in the presence of devotion. Right? Purify the heart, devotion comes. And in devotion, God's realized. Automatic, they're the same thing. Right? Therefore, that verse that's structuring this whole, this whole section, from purity of food, deep, 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 deep liberation. You know, it's like from this to that. You know, if you, if you work on the foundation, if the foundation is good, you'll get a beautiful outcome. That's the point. The bedrock. Purity is absolutely the basic discipline, the bedrock on, upon which the building of bhakti rests. So just like food is on different levels, so should, should uh, is one of the, it's also one of the yamas, I believe, right? Saucha, right? So that's the same thing. So what's saucha? Saucha means cleanliness, means purity. Saucha means cleanliness. It's uh, uh, should means they're related words, but we have to think what this, what this, he's the word he's translating from the verse is, is saucha, right? And it starts with external cleanliness, right? Uh, 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 uh. But so there's there, there's cleanliness in, in in your surroundings. There's cleanliness, your physical cleanliness, keeping yourself clean, your clothes clean, your hair clean, right? Then yogis take, they, we always say, oh, there's external cleanliness, there's inner purity, right? That's, we use a different word for that, right? That's for the, the mind and heart have to be purified, right? But in between, yogis like to, yogis of my, of my guru's tradition, it's quite horrible, I tell you, frankly. Right? <laughs> they take purification to another, and internal purification is also done with all kinds of, with tubes and waters and scraping devices and all the kinds of very unpleasant things, right? <laughs> But it works. Because <laughs> right? he says, oh, hey, I remember one time we, we, we wanted me to write a book on, on, on the asanas of our, of our ashram tradition. I'm not very good at asanas anymore. So I, my mind has moved to a different state. I still, the instruction is still there. The pranayama part of the book has been finished but never really publicly printed. Uh, but he wanted to stick on the pranayama, on the asanas, and what he called the kriyas, the yogic kriyas. These are the, the purification devices. Yeah, the shakriyas, right? And, uh, uh, and, and he says, so, so his first introduction, he was telling me, you could start with the yamas, niyama, this is natural, this is, yes, yes general stuff, so we always say start with yama, niyama, this is the background for the other practices of yoga. And he says, and, and for purification, start, just like we're doing now, start with the physical uh, the body, and then, of course, purification of the mind and the heart. But, <laughs> don't leave out, you know, the sutnati and jalnati and shaprachana <laughs> and all those wonderful uh, uh, practices. <clears throat> so, and also, but, so even those internal yogic practices, Swamiji is not talking necessarily about the internal yogic practices of the six kriyas. Classical, of course, kriyas used in many ways in the yoga tradition, but, you know, we're using it in the, in the Hatha yoga system. Use it in that form, um, uh, but they're also not just, of course, clean the body. That's okay, and, and and if you you know you can clear out your nasal passages and remove phlegm from your from your esophagus area and clean out your your large and lower intestines and your colon, and all these type of things. They have obvious health benefits to be clean, 
But even that is meant to purify the mind. Because between the physical body and the mental body, we have a whole structure we call the subtle body. Right? Which, and, and, and from yoga, we, we think of, it like the, of, the, of the chakras and the five koshas and the, the nadis. And so all those are actually designed to purify the nadis. Right? Uh, the benefit is that they also have, they purify the physical body. But that's also not by accident also. It's not just removing phlegm, for instance, right? Because the physical body is built upon the structure of the subtle body. If the subtle body is pure, the physical body changes. So you see somebody does a lot of yoga, even if they're doing it just for physical reasons, they change, right? People's minds change. All this, you know, that's why people who get, who get into hatha yoga like it simply for to look good or be healthy or flexible or because it's cool and, and trendy, right? You know, it's like, that's okay. But you see the result sometimes, it's like, their, their consciousness changes. Not for every, sometimes it's just the next class, you know, sometimes the consciousness changes. But sometimes it, it, it completely transforms people because you're transforming things on the inside, your body changes, your mind changes, it has an effect, right? So, so cleanliness is not, shuddha is not just physical cleanliness, it's also astral cleanliness of the subtle body and, and, and uh, so the yoga kriya and the like. But really, ultimately, it's it's manas shuddhi, the purification of the mind, we can purification of the heart, of our intentions, our emotions, our aspirations, our karmas, our samskaras, our vasanas, like this means. Uh, Cleansing of the external body and discrimination about food are both easy. So all this about food, food and body is relatively easy, not that easy. But without internal cleanliness and purity, these external observances are of no value whatsoever. You can see sometimes a clean body is a sign of a sattvic mind. Sometimes a clean body is a, neuro- a neurotic mind. Sometimes a clean body is is just somebody who feels you know. You, you, I mean, you can fill in every. That's a great judge. Actually, even even uh, uh, I'm going to uh, take a detour for a few seconds into the Yoga Sutra. Uh, each of the yamas and niyamas also has a siddhi as, associated with it. If you do this, you get this result. Right. For cleanliness, for what's the result? Anybody know the siddhi of being clean? It's not what we think. <laughs> it's, it's actually uh, considering not wanting to touch people. Right. It's a very interesting thing because and Sami Lakshmanju in video we see he gives a, he gives a somebody asked him about this. Mother Alice asked him about it. An old black and white, incredible black and white video of him. Uh, uh, and he says, so if you wash yourself really well, scrub yourself, go, go to a Korean spa and get yourself scraped down, right? <clears throat> completely clean. And then you clean your bathtub, with very, completely clean your bathroom, fill it with clean water, and then sit in it for a half hour, and then stand up and look at the water. So if you're really clean, you're not, you realize you're actually not that clean. Right? <laughs> and then you, then you realize other people who aren't that clean they're really not that <laughs> right? We cover everything, we, things we like to look at and like to touch, we cover with the idea that it's beautiful, beautiful and pure and innocent. But it's not even skin deep, it's, it's on top of the skin too, it's also not that clean, you know. So he says that the result of being really clean makes you be, be, be very cautious of, of, of making, not wanting to be in contact with other people's bodies. That's the siddhi of, of Saucha in, 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 in Patanjali Yoga Sutra, right? But it's a, it's a little bite type thing. But, but also that's meant to lead ultimately to inner purity also. Because even if you're really clean, you're not that clean. And physical cleanliness is easy enough, but even it's not really possible. The physical body is not like that. It's constantly excluding, it, it's, it's, it's emitting by- byproducts continuously. 
right? And it's clean enough to clean the house. You know, today, we, the last two days, we've been cleaning. We're getting ready for our mabasha or in our weekly cleaning. We clean, 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 clean. So that's not easy. It's been hard work, a couple of days of, 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 of fast work, right? But in three, four days, it's going to look dirty again, right? So it's not that hard, but it's also not permanent, right? That's, that, that's the thing. And, and purity of food is not that hard, but it is not that hard. Like I said, we can read ingredients, you know, it's like I, I mentioned, I gave an example last, last time, that you, you read something, somebody brought some, we bought some cookies to, to distribute for puja, and we're like, oh my God, these have egg in it, right? So we can't eat this, so let's go back to the store and go, and go get, return them and get, and get ones without egg, right? In that process, we've killed so many more things than, 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 than that are in the food. You know, it's like, so it's, it's, not, it's not that easy, but it's comparatively easy, but it's also not successful. Right? We, try, we try our best, naturally, these are tendencies of heart trying to change our consciousness, right? But on the physical level, it's, it's, it's relatively easy, but it's not, it can't possibly be the goal because it's impossible. Absolute dhambaya, absolute cleanliness, absolute compassion, these things are not possible. So we have to be uh, a deeper, deeper thing. Cleansing the external body and discriminating about food are both easy, but without internal cleanliness and purity, these external observations are of no value whatsoever. In the list of the qualities conductive to purity, as given by Ramanuja, they are, enum- they, they, they are enumerated as satya, truthfulness, arjava, sincerity, daya, doing good to others without any gain to oneself, ahimsa, non-injury to others by thought, word, and deed, anabhidya, not coveting others' goods, not thinking vain thoughts, and not brooding over injuries received from others. These are Ramanuja's classical list. In this list, the one idea that deserves special notice is ahimsa, non-injury to others. This duty of non-injury is, so to say, obligatory to us in, in, re, in relation to all beings. It does not simply mean, as with some, the non-injuring of human beings and, mercy, and merciless, mercilessness. Is that a word? Mercilessness. That the word he used, mercilessness, towards the lower animals. It does not mean as some. It, it does not simply mean as with some as with them the non-injuring of human beings and mercilessness towards the lower animals. Nor is it the mean, as with some others, the protecting of cats and dogs and feeding of ants with sugar, with liber, with liberty to injure brother man in every possible way. These are the two extremes, right? You know, we can we can be be non-violent to people but kill animals or be kind to animals and kill people, right? And that's the problem. You can see there, it's the tendencies to, uh, the, these extreme tendencies are there. It is remarkable that almost every good idea in this world can be carried to, to a disgusting extreme. A good practice carried to an extreme and worked out according to the latter, to the letter of the law becomes a positive evil. The, and he says, the stinking monks of certain religious sects who do not bathe, lest the vermin on their body should be killed, never think of the discomfort and disease they bring to their fellow human beings. They do not, they do not however, belong to the religion of the Vedas. He's exactly, not only is he that this is not the Vedic tradition, but it's also not the Vedic, he's talking about a particular sect of Jains. It's actually not the Vedic tradition, but he's not, it's not meant to be an anti-Jain thing, but it's not, it's not this is, their, their extreme practice of nonviolence isn't Vedic. Right, it's commendable in many ways because they're an extreme example of nonviolence. Right, but <clears throat> the test of ahimsa. So this is so. Uh, this is the test of ahimsa. 
in the Yoga Sutra says that from in Ahimsa, the benefit of Ahimsa, what's the Siddhi, anybody know what the Siddhi of Ahimsa is in the Yoga Sutra? No one will do harm in their presence. Yeah, that's exactly right. So this is given in the Bible as the lion lays down with the lamb. Right? Things, natural enemies will not be enemies in their presence. This is the very, this is the result of somebody who's truly fixed in Ahimsa. So, uh, uh, so that is, but of course that doesn't mean, you know, there's people who I know who, are, who never heard anything, and they, they eat only pure, non-violent, attain uh, uh, relatively uh, as far as possible, as far as their uh, ability to control. Uh, they don't kill animals, they don't kill ants, they don't, you know, they're, they're uh, uh, yet in their presence, you can, even sometimes, we all know people, perhaps, people who are really non-violent. That that uh, that infuriate, and you become infuriated. <laughs> the result of knowing them is you become angry. <laughs> not, 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 not. The real result, the real benefit of meeting somebody and uh, if real somebody fixing ahimsa is you that you cannot be angry, right? Because your vasana has become controlled, right? The, 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 the very vasana of, of anger goes down. So Samaji is going to unpack it a little differently, but I'm just remembering that it's an important line. The tense of ahimsa is absence of jealousy. This is Swamiji's definition. This is the test. Any man may do a good deed or make a good gift on the spur of the moment or under the pressure of some superstition or priestcraft. But the real lover of mankind is he who is jealous of none. The so-called great men of the world are seen to become jealous of each other for a small name, for a little fame, or a few bits of gold. So long as this jealousy exists in the, in the heart, it is far away from the perfection of Ahimsa. The cow does not eat meat, nor does the sheep. Are they great yogis, great non-injurers? Any fool may abstain from eating this or that. Surely that gives him no more distinction than a herbivorous animal. Herbivorous, herb, you know. If once I say it wrong, I can never say it right. <laughs> I get programmed very quickly. Yeah, I think you're closer. <laughs> Actually, that's a, the, 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 uh, I read in one small book a conversation with Srila Prabhupada. He was, he, he said, that, that, he, he's, it's like somebody was saying, well, we're, we're strict vegetarians, Swamiji. That's okay, but so are pigeons. Right? You know, it's like a, monkeys are vegetarian, pigeons are vegetarians, cows are vegetarians. You know, it's like, it's like, it's like we, want to be, we want to be God conscious. We're doing this diet not because the diet is is. I mean, sometimes in the sake for the sake of preaching, they have books that are that are preaching the the ecological benefits and the the health benefits of vegetarianism because that's part of their kind of the public persona of spreading vegetarianism. But actually, he says actually we're 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 we are um, we're Krishna bhaktas and Krishna told us what he wants to eat and we feed him that. He says one offers me a leaf, a flower, a, a fruit, some water. I will accept that, right? If he's so. Uh, 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 so we're, we eat what, what pleases him, right? And, and that, that's, that's our goal. Because just being a vegetarian, in, in this sense, is not, is not, uh, 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 is not uh, I can say, cows are vegetarian. Of course, cows are, we consider cows a spiritual animal, but they're not yogis. <laughs> Maybe they were. <laughs> Some text actually says, from a yogi, the next birth is a cow. So the highest, very high birth. But anyway, that's a different point. Are they great yogis, great non-injurers? Any fool can stay from eating this or that and simply gives them more uh, or that. Surely that gives them no more distinction than herbivorous animals. The man who will mercifully cheat widows and orphans and do the vilest deeds for money, 
is worse than any brute, even if is worse than any brute, even if he lives entirely on grass. The man whose heart never cherishes even in thought to injure to an injury or of injury to anyone, rejoices at the propens- at the propriety, sorry. Who rejoices at the prosperity of even his greatest enemy. That man is a bhakta. He is a yogi. He is a guru of all. Even though he lives every day of his life on the, on the flesh of swine. He's, a, he's quoting, I forget the verse, but there's, he's quoting a, a known verse. That I think that uh, uh, there's some, that somebody, it, he's wording it to his audience. He's for shock value. But the verse itself is shocking. It's meant to be shocking. I, I, maybe it'll come... It's in my it's in my in my head somewhere, but the translation is something like uh, uh, um, that uh, they could uh, somebody could they could be a, a, a very sinful a very crude very cruel um, cheat of a person, although he lives on it's called havisha. This is like a, it's like it's considered like the purest yogic food. It's like basically it's like kitri with no salt. Right, like very pure cooked in ghee. It's like very pure. This is like sadhu food. This is like the purest popular food. The people who eat that, but they're still horrible people. Right? And there's other people who are great devotees, right? And, and, they're, and maybe they're eating pork. Right? It's like, it's like, that's not, that's not, we shouldn't use that as an excuse to, to, go buy, to go eat bacon today. You know? We're going to be great yogis. And, you know? like, but the point is, these, these, they're, they're, not, they're not sufficient. They're important, but not sufficient. Right? These points. Right? The man whose heart never cherishes even the thought of injury to anyone who rejoices at the prosperity of even his greatest enemy. That's a, that's a hard one. Okay. That man is a bhakta. He is a yogi. He is a guru of all, even though he lives every day of his life on the flesh of the swine. Therefore, we must always remember that external practices have value only as they help to develop internal purity. That's the purpose of it. There's a line... Ada Jiva Goswami or Rupa Goswami, I don't remember. Their writings I don't know, not distinct enough in my head, unfortunately. But he gives, he says that, uh, he says, all, there, there's, there's actually only one yama and one niyama. Right? There's only, there's, only, there's only one rule, one thing to do and one thing to refrain from doing. He says that always remember Krishna and never forget Krishna. <laughs> this is the, the one yama. The, don't forget Krishna, and the one niyama is always remember Krishna. Right? So, this is all the other rules and regulations of religion. That means all of them. We got shelves and shelves and shelves and shelves and shelves are servants of these two rules. Right? The purpose of all the other things are to help us always remember God, never forget God. That's a good put into perspective. So, in that case, actually, they're not all important, but they're not unimportant because they're meant to help us get to the ultimate goal. Right? They may not be the exclusive way to the ultimate goal. We have to be a little bit liberal-minded on that, not judgmental like that. But we should be careful with ourselves that we're doing the external practices, not to give these practices up, the, the principles of yoga and religion like this, but to make sure that their, point, their, their goal is this transformation of heart and meditation and realization of God uh, and, and not, not get lost there. Therefore, we must always remember that the external practices have value only as they help to develop internal purity. It is better to have internal purity alone when minute attention to external observances is not practicable, practicable. Right? That's an important point also. It's not that we should give up, right? But sometimes you can practice. 
right? And and so we have a, a friend, you know, he uh, uh, who is traveling, and he's a strict vegetarian, uh, uh, lifelong vegetarian, a strict vegetarian, and he was traveling in a, in a country where you couldn't, where he tried his best, but you don't know if the food is pure. He ordered the best he could, but language, the, the pure, pure food by his standards, by our standards, but there's no choice. He did the best he could, and he said, I don't know if I was a vegetarian. Maybe I was a vegetarian. <laughs> I tried to be a vegetarian, right? And so the verse that reminded me, there's a verse when people, people um, uh, challenged Jesus about his eating habits, with who he was eating with, and, and these uh, rules and regulations of the, of, of, of the Jewish culture of his time. Right, uh, which are important and at that time quite strict in, observ- in observance. And he made the statement, it's more, it seems to me it's more important what comes out of the mouth of, God, of a man than what goes into it. That's a famous line, right? It doesn't mean that what comes into it is unimportant. That's not the point. Right? But it's, not, it's more important than what comes out. In other words, if you're speaking words of compassion, you know, the, 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 exter- the internal practices are more, the internal qualities are more important. If the, if you cannot follow, if not always able to follow carefully the external, I mentioned this ver- this the scene two weeks three weeks ago. I just read it again on Holy Mother's birthday in the evening. I was reading the Gospel of Holy Mother, and this the one that came back into my mind. One of her disciples, he was uh, uh, he was saying he was telling her he says I cannot. Uh, I work in a hospital, right, and 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 the hospital. You know, and by Brahminical standards of, his, of her of her of that time, uh, you you shouldn't eat in a hospital, right? Hospitals are are ritually impure. They're maybe medically miraculously necessary places, doing great good work, but they're not ritually pure, right? And for somebody careful about food, this food is very dangerous, right? Uh, it's it, because there is dealing with sickness, it's dealing with death, it's dealing with birth, dealing with body fluids and blood, right? These are the things. These are all impurifying, right? Uh, and uh, and so the idea is so I know devotees that they even work in hospitals, but what they do then they they go home, they bathe, they cook their fresh food, they don't eat like that. He says, but the situation is I have I find myself having to first he says I, I find myself having to drink water at the hospital, like with test on what you would say, <laughs> right? And then he admitted a little bit more, but actually I ha- I also eat there, you know. So uh, maybe I don't maybe he's even eating the food from the cafeteria, it's not just bringing his own. Pure food, you know, with alms written on the outside of the containers or something. You know, that's <laughs> <laughs> what I would do. You know, go like that. And she said, "No, what to do? You do do your best, right? But uh, but your situation is, what are you going to do? You, you have to eat, right? So you think this food is coming from Sri Ramakrishna? Pray to him. The food will not uh, it will not damage your devotion. But even there, it's not like it's not that you you'll lose your caste or you'll uh, you'll become a sinner." Or you'll uh, uh, become exactly really that you wouldn't lose your devotion. That's the ultimate. The goal of all these things is devotion, right? And so in that situation, you know, eating something at work is not going to make you lose your devotion, right? Uh, it's not an excuse to eat impure food in impure places. Not not worry about who touches your food. And we, we should be careful as much as practical, but the goal is devotion. When Sri Ramakrishna, when somebody asked Holy Mother also, what did Sri Ramakrishna say about food? Actually, he didn't give any restrictions. You know, almost every other religious teacher in the world gives food restrictions. And, every other, and the yoga traditions have, I mean, there's pages and books and books and books and books and books of, of, of food restrictions, right? right? Uh, because that's the easiest thing to control. But Sri Ramakrishna wasn't interested in controlling external things. 
right? He, he wasn't, you know, he doesn't like, oh, we need to change the, 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 the look of society. He changed people, it was internal change, right? And so actually he left people's food choices to themselves, right? Uh, and some of his disciples had very, amongst his disciples, they had very wide extremes of, of, of food traditions, right? But one thing he says he, that he was universally, continuously uh, insisted upon is that, any, that not to eat food from a shrad, from a, this is from the death rituals that are done, the, the, the shrad ceremonies, that when the devotee should not eat food from those ther- rituals. Where he says, and, he says that they, they, and he says they damage your devotion. Now, I don't exactly know how that damages devotion, but Sri Ramakrishna, the only thing he said about food I mean, other disciples, you want to, there's, his other disciples wrote commentaries on yogic scriptures. They, they go, like even Swamiji is going about food. <coughs> but the overlooking principle of Sri Ramakrishna is that it, how it affects devotion. Food, some, for whatever reason, food associated with these funeral rites, um, uh, uh, he forbade. And then people would ask him. But sometimes, but Thakur, that, that it, it, he would go to, I mean, imagine, even, especially in, in the Hindu family, Somebody dies in your family, and then you don't take the food from the ceremony and the feast and the bandar afterward. The damage to your family relations would be can be significant. People will be extremely offended, right? You know, they feel you know, especially if you're a close relative, it can be it can be complicated. And I myself found myself in complicated situations. How do you not eat, right? And then Sakura said, "Well, in the in the in the in the Hindu shroud ceremony, there's a portion of the food that's offered to Vishnu, some fruit and like that, some kind of puja like that." It says. If necessary, that food you can take. So another thing, oh, I'm fasting today, I shall just take, just give me some of the fruit. Right, so you can, you can if you don't offend everybody, if you're taking prasadam, you're, offend, you're not offending like that, but you're also protecting, like, uh, uh, that point. So, uh, 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 then we have the principle of, of, of uh, being that's Sri Ramakrishna's only and single rule, right? We've built, you know, this term built, we've used this term, this building a fence around the Torah. You know this term? This is, uh, like, for instance, uh, 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 if there's a, a rule, right, and to make sure that, that rule, like an example, sorry to be from the wrong, but there's a, there's a, in the kosher principles, uh, there's, you don't, what is it, you don't, uh, uh, you can't keep beef and milk in the same kitchen, right? They can't touch the same pots, they can't touch the same frigid, they can't be in the same frigid, there's usually two refrigerators, like this. that's one of the principles of kosher, like that. That's a weird thing. Right, like you know, nothing wrong with eating beef, nothing wrong with drinking dairy, but dairy and beef cannot be in the same refrigerator in, in the same kitchen, because there's a rule, there's a rule that, and it most likely uh, it comes from a, a pro- prohibition against a magical practice of the time. It was something like that, because it's a weird idol here that you cannot eat a calf that's been boiled in its mother's milk. It's a weird thing to think, but it's a weird like, what, how could that even happen in practical? It, it may have been a reaction to some actual or believed mis- magical tradition of the pagan that they, re- they fought against or something. That's what most scholars think. This part, like that. But that's the rule. So, so that's, that, that's never going to happen. Even if you eat meat and drink dairy, if chances are that's never going to happen. But that's an important rule. It's an absolute rule. So how do you protect it? Right? So you start getting... Become, so all of a sudden, meat, uh, uh, beef and dairy can never touch, can never be in the same kitchen. So that there's no chance for it to happen. That becomes, we call that uh, building a, 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 a fence around the Torah. You interpret, like, like, like on the seventh day, you rest and don't work. That's the Sabbath, right? And you have Orthodox people that, they, you know, they, 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 they cut, they, they pre-tear the toilet paper that day. 
the night before because it's not supposed to work. Is that work? That's probably not work, right? But what if it is, right? You know, so, you know, it's like, it's like just be extra strict on the things we know, right? So on this one point, so like, for instance, like, you know, going to a funeral, it's not the same thing as Shraddha, the very specific Hindu ritual, right, with the Bishop Gold. But is 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 this is 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 the is the hors d'oeuvre table after a few, after a memorial service the same? Not quite, right? But my general thing is I don't take that food, you know, at least cook parts of things like that, you know, maybe you know. But the same principle, just being extra. Sri Ramakrishna said one thing, I'll do like one thing at least, at least like at least that one thing really carefully, you know. So uh, be careful about about food from uh, funeral uh, services. We may actually finish this chapter. Therefore, we must always remember that external practices have value only as they help develop internal purity. It is better to have internal purity alone when minute attention to external observances is not practicable. But woe to the man and woe to the nation that forgets the real internal spiritual essence of religion and mechanically clutches with death-like with death-like grasp, all external forms, and never lets them go. It's an exclamation point. So I'm sure he, if he, some of you probably said it very dramatically. You know, woe to that nation, woe to the religion. That, that, right? This is, a good, this is a prophetic voice. You know, that woe to that, that clutches to the externals and completely ignores the internals. Right? And you can see that practically speaking, that's that's religion, and that's nations, and that's people. That's what's happened. Woe unto us. Woe is a great, we don't use woe enough. <laughs> it's such a great rhetorical, powerful thing. Woe unto thee. Yeah, I wish I had a woe emoji. Yeah, I'm sure there is. That's perfectly good. It's a great line, you know. I read it again. But woe unto the man and woe unto the nation that forgets the real internal spiritual essentials of religion and mechanically clutches with death-like grasp all external forms and never lets them go. The forms have value only so far as they are the expression of the life within. If they cease to express life, crush them out without mercy. This is Swamiji's style. The next being to attain, the attainment of bhakti is strengths, or anavasada. Anavasada. And then he quotes from the a verse that he quoted a lot from the Upanishads. This Atman is not to be attained by the weak. Swamiji, you, very often you think Swami Vivekananda, you see posters of him like this, you know, the strength, the man-making religion, and faith, uh, strength is the new religion. You know, he, that was a big call, right? Arise, awake. And he quotes this a lot, that verse in the Upanishads, that it's not by the, it's, it's not, it's, what, what is it, like, what do we need to attain? We need strength. Not just physical strength, obviously it's not just physical strength, you know, but go into it. Mm. Enlightenment is not for sissies. Exactly. Like right. <laughs> yeah. This Atman is not to be attained by the weak, so says Shruti in the scriptures. Both physical weakness and mental weakness are meant here. The strong, the hardy, quote unquote, are the o- are the only fit students. What can puny little decrepit things do? They will break into pieces whenever the mysterious force of the body and mind are even slightly awakened by the practice of any of the yogas. This is the thing. A little bit of awakening, the energy will just shatter them. Right? You need at least enough strength to hold, to hold, to hold it. 
And then against what's the purpose of purification, purification both internal and external, uh, uh, purity of food, all these things go to create from pure food, from pure mind, from mind, from pure, the, the, all the five koshas, like everything becomes becomes purified and strong and, and, and ready. Right? So otherwise a little bit of awakening gets shattered. The other night, in the yoga center, I told the story about the nuns. Oh yes, this is related, not exactly related, but there's a story from Ramakrishnananda at the yoga center in Kuskamesa many, many years ago. I heard him say that uh, um, some nuns, Catholic nuns, uh, contemplative nuns, not active, or, uh, not sisters, but uh, uh, they they approached him, or somebody approached him. Uh, he was the only yoga center in Orange. He was the first yoga center in Orange County. He's been there fifty years now, so there was not much choice. If you heard about yoga, you know, and he says, "Well, our nuns, our, they they meditate. We meditate and pray, and then the bliss comes, and then we die. Right? It's always the situation. As soon as they get we get some bliss, then we die. And so he looked at them and met them like that. All he did, he adjusted their diet only a little bit." I think literally, I think he, he taught them some simple breathing practices to strengthen their nervous system, and he had them eat green leafy vegetables. It was something like that, just change it out a little bit. And now they practice, the bliss comes, and they live a long <laughs> life full of bliss. You know, it's like, it's like the system has to, they don't, the thing is they, they have the practices to generate, but they don't have the background for the foundation. They've lost, they, they've developed the, the, the experiences of a yogi without the practices of a yogi which are designed to build a safe foundation to hold that building. You know, very interesting. It is the young, the healthy, the strong, these are quotes, that can score success. Physical strength, therefore, is absolutely necessary. It is the strong body alone that can bear the shock of the reactions resulting from the attempt to control the organs. He who wants to become a bhakta must be strong, must be healthy. When the miserable weak, when the miserably weak attempt any of the yogas, they are likely to get some incurable malady and weaken their mind. Voluntary weakening of the body is really no prescription for spiritual enlightenment. The mentally weak are also also cannot succeed in attaining atman. The person who aspires to be a bhakta must be cheerful. In the Western world, the idea of a religious man is that he never smiles that the dark cloud must always hang over his face, which again must be long drawn, with the jaws almost collapsed. <laughs> it's like, you know, we, we've all seen this type of religious look. You know. I can't even do it without laughing. You know. uh, and in other places, Swamiji said that as a person, that this is not religion, this is some mental morbidity, better to lock yourself in your room. Don't spread your disease to others. You know. <laughs> People with emaciated, emaciated bodies and long faces are fit subjects for the physician. They are not yogis. It is a cheerful mind that can, that can persevere. It is a strong mind that hews its way through a thousand difficulties. And this, the hardest task of all, the cutting of our way out of the net of maya, is the work reserved only for giant wills. Beautifully said. <clears throat> Swami Shivananda, he, in his he, he also had, in one place he speaks about these exact points of Ramanuja, the list of qualities that a bhakti should develop. 
practice bhakti. When he gets to this about this cheerfulness of mind, he says that part is it's partially is like it's like faith that you can do it is another cheerfulness of mind, right? Because you can see sometimes in the practice and in some religious tradition, the practice is like is 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 you become overwhelmingly conscious of your inability, of your sinfulness, of your fallen qualities that you know that and. and and that has its own psychological power, so it's, it's, it's something we're not dismissing. But that's not what's meant here. That uh, We should think, Swami Shivananda, in that he says, what we want to do is very difficult, but not impossible. Right? And the proof is, so many have done it. Right? So what quality do they Let's list the quality that they had to do it. Right? Our Guruji, he was a very interesting person. He, he, told, he says... I saw, I met yogis at a young age, right? And, like, and he says, and I saw people, they, they, they were free. They were enlightened, right? Siddhas, you know, so they've done it. That means it can be done, right? So, so I had to learn from them how to do it. He took this to, to every, because he was a yogi, he applied the same principle to everything, right? So an example is, is uh, he saw somebody with a very nice type of fountain pen. It was called a pelican fountain pen, I remember because we had to look for one. You know. He saw somebody, because he write letters, he, used, he liked fountain pens to write his letters, you know, back when letter writing was still a thing. Right? And so he sent, I, I spent several months looking for a pelican fountain pen. And, and Carlos eventually spent several months. They're very expensive and hard to find. But he had us on this obsessive thing because other people have found them. It means they exist. It means I can also have them. He saw somebody, he used to take, he, everything he wore was orange, as appropriate for a sannyasi. And so he had high tops. Right? He was known as, he was, everybody knew him as that Swami with the orange tennis shoes, right? And so he, he had white high tops, and it was an orange marker. He colored them in. It looked like <laughs> everything was orange, you know? So one time at the mall, he saw somebody walk by with orange Reeboks. Bright orange Reeboks. They exist. He bought them. That means they could be they could be had. <laughs> it was very long, very ex- a lot of work, <laughs> several months of because they're not common. You can't just go to a Reebok store and get orange tennis shoes. They're, they're, you're probably from Europe, special order or something like that, right? But he got he got his the orange tennis shoes. Became even more famous for his bright orange uh, Reebok tennis shoes rather than the high tops, the Vans high tops, you know. But that principle it can be done, right? It may be hard, but it can be done, right? And so and what are the qualities of those who did it? What qualities they, de- they develop, what part of which is like it can be done, right? And it's, it's, it, if I put forth the right energy, I think in, in Mahatma Gandhi's, uh, if you were in a collection of his, of his uh, statement, I think the most important, right? He says, I am, a, uh, 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 I am a, I'm an ordinary man with less than ordinary abilities, right? But, but uh, anyone can attain what I've attained if they put forth the same effort in the same direction. Right. He says, I'm, I'm actually lower than normal, not below average quali- uh, ability. But I did something. I put forth the energy in a certain direction, and I've attained something, right. both spiritually and, and politically, or whatever however you meant it. Uh, so anybody can do the same thing. So that's the, 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 so it's not like, well, you look at a, 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 a weak person can't climb a mountain, but a weak person can become a strong person and then climb a mountain. You know, like we, the qualities have to be developed including this positive attitude, the positive view, self-view of life, and a good, uh, healthy disposition. Yet at the same time, remember that first verse, that weird verse, excessive mirth, right? Let's say, at the same time, excessive mirth, or 
or, or anu darsha should be avoided. Excessive mirth makes us unfit for serious thought. It also fritters away the energies of the mind in vain. So this is, it's not just happiness, right? You know, it is, it's a tendency, it's a, it's a, it's, um, uh, the problem is that material, ex, excessive, ex, happiness is good, you know, but it, uh, it's, it's that the bliss money happiness, you know, that type of the, 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 the uh, it, 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 whatever, even if the, if the energies and the experiences that are generating that, ex, that expression are real, they get, they get in that, in, in that superficial, ex, ex, it keeps, it keeps coming, he uses the word excessive, so it's not mirth, excessive mirth, it gets waste, it gets frittered. Even the energy that leads to that experience gets wasted in being expressed. Not that we should not express ourselves, right? But we shouldn't express ourselves also, right? Like uh, Swami Brahmananda says that, that, that uh, your, your, your own spiritual experiences you don't talk about. You talk to your guru and maybe one friend. We all have that one friend we can talk our spiritual struggles and experiences with, right? We have to, there's a human need for that. But all the, and so, or, 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 or what we remember the other night, Baba, he says, don't talk about your spiritual experience, don't talk about your life, and don't talk about your, your bank balance, your business. Otherwise, all three of them will leave you, right? If you talk about your wife or husband, they'll leave you, right? You know, you know, if you talk about your religion, your spiritual experience, they leave you, right? You talk about your money, it leaves you, right? So there, there's a, there's a, 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 and also, excessiveness could be, you know, it's like material, material joy, and material uh, misery are both material. Right, and between the two of them, actually, which one's better? We usually think, oh, happiness is better than misery. That's natural. No, happiness is more pleasant than misery. It may or may not be better. I remember one Swami, Varshana Maharaj, Vaishnava Swami, he, t- he told me, he says, actually, between the two, actually, they're materially, they're actually the same. They're just the world of duality, the two extremes of the world of duality. Right? Happiness and misery are the same. It's like even health and sickness, these are just extremes of, 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 of the continuum. Of, of, of all those ways you can be in, in the physical world. He says, spiritually, of course, it's, it's psychologically, it's, we should want to be happy, and we should be happy. We should want to be healthy, and we should be healthy. That's a psychological necessity. Right? But, he says, but actually, when you're very, very happy, often you forget religion. Right? And, and, and sometimes, when one is suffering, one calls out to God. Right? So even though they're both materially the same spiritually, Sometimes, not always the time. It's not glorifying misery. There's a danger in glorifying suffering and misery and poverty, and you can get caught into that in religion. Also, we don't want to do that. But you can see we, that that, that um, uh, uh, when we are struggling, then we, we can we get because when when you're when you're suffering in the world, also you see the limitation of the world, and maybe try to transcend it. When everything is going super awesome and you're and you're going super awesome and everybody knows you're super awesome, <laughs> there's not much reason to transcend that, right? You can get easily caught in it, and, and or literally, for, as Swami said, it fritters, it, fritters, it fritters away the energies. Right? We sometimes in our little sub community, we sometimes say we should digest our experiences, right? And still, and so we're also told. I mean, we we, we it, in our Guru line also that we're, we, we're encouraged and we're corrected if we overdo not to overly express our spiritual emotions, right? We don't, we're not 
uh, showing physical kriyas and laughing and crying and uh, tear. Uh, you know. So we're trying not to do that. The other traditions and other groups, it's a lot of it's the psychology of a group, right? If if it's if other people do it, then you're going to do it. If somebody starts speaking in tongues, you're going to speak. If somebody starts shaking, you're going to start. Shaking. You see a, gr- a group of people that that shows the physical uh, kriyas. Pretty soon everybody does it, and you almost can't help not doing it. If you get caught up into into, into, into if, if people are very <coughs> there's, a, there's a scene with Sri Ramakrishna in his room. There's an ecstatic kirtan. Ecstatic, right? We always see the word ecstatic kirtan. Come to call him under ecstatic kirtan, you know. And Sri Ramakrishna dancing, right? And everybody dancing. And pretty soon people are dancing and they're fainting. And they're passing out and they're shaking and crying. Mom, mom, rolling on the floor. Quite a scene. You can imagine. It's described as a very dramatic scene, right? right? Afterward, an observer who was like, this is, it's a lot. You know, Sri Ramakrishna created, you know, a random. He says, he asked Sri Ramakrishna, who there had to attain ecstasy? And so he stopped to think about it. He says, one. Swami Bhutananda. Right? Uh, 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 he's the only one. Everybody else, it was, they got caught up in the emotion of it and they externalized it. And it was, I mean, it was one of their peak, they, they, probably a peak experience of their life. Right? But, but they, it was, it, 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 they got caught into the expression of it. And maybe it wasn't as transformative as it, as it could have been. But still, if your tradition, is, and, if you're, and if you're conscious and, you're, and you practice, not overly expressing, not overly showing, still sometime it comes, right? Then, then, then the yogis say that's considered authentic. If you try not to show emotion in, in, the, in, the, in the spiritual emotion, and still in the middle of something, you start crying, right? It's not because you're, you're not crying because your, your ego gets caught up to it, you want people to see how, how, how devotion you are, and you want yourself to see how devotion, you know, all the things you... In spite of all you're trying to do, still sometime it comes. This is this is the this is the overboiling of milk, right? It happens. You can't it's, it can't stop. You can't boil, you can't you can't blame milk for overboiling. It's what it does when it gets you know. So it's important. Yet at the same time, excessive mirth of anu darsha should be avoided. Excessive mirth makes the mind unfit for serious thought. It also fritters away the energy of the mind in vain. The stronger the will, the less the yielding to the sway of emotions. Excessive hilarity is quite as objectable as too much of sad seriousness. Religious realization is possible only when the mind is in a steady, peaceful condition of harmonious equilibrium. It is thus that one may begin to learn how to love the Lord. That's the ending of that chapter. So the next chapter we'll read next week, not willing. Yeah, this is, is, the, is about the devotees, the, the, the bhaktas' renunciation. Very different. The, the, the real... The, uh, anyway, uh, I can, my, my tendency is I start talking and give the whole thing away and have to repeat it. <laughs> then, I, then, then I'll try to repeat it next week, and then the following week I'll recap it and repeat it again. But <laughs> as a result, we're always late to our Anyway, thank you for your kind attention. Um, <clears throat> I would stop for questions, but we have three minutes for RIT, so... You can push the button thingy. Jai Ma to all the devotees watching online.